Welcome to Figuring Out Families. This is our third episode in Series 2. In this episode, we talk to Christine Carolyn, Executive Officer of ACRATH, about the vast scale of slavery in the world today, including Australia. Many don't realise that around 40 million people are said to be in some form of indentured servitude. Thank you for joining us. Our guest today is the National Executive Officer of an organisation that goes by the acronym ACRATH, or Australian Catholic Religious Against Trafficking in Humans. She's with us to talk about modern slavery. Welcome, Christine Carolyn. Thanks, David. Lovely to have you on the program. Uh, we're obviously living in uh, rather strange times at the moment. COVID-19 has changed the way we live, work and interact with others. How has the virus impacted on your organisation's work? Well, of course, um, it, it's a very strange time for all of us, David. Um, we've uh, Our uh, volunteer and uh, paid workforce are all working from home. And like initially I thought, gee, this is going to be a quiet time. We can really catch up on some of the backlog of, of file tidying, etc. But in fact, yeah. uh, we've actually cranked up our workforce uh, at the moment, we've, we've got a lot more work going on, uh, working with people um, who are overseas workers here who are very vulnerable and aren't covered by the federal government package. And we're also supporting trafficked women and their children. And we're also providing online support material for schools. So it's like everything has just become a bit more busy. Yeah, it's a strange thing about this virus. Some people are a lot busier. Some people are, are, are in other businesses are doing okay. And, of course, there are a lot of people who are being thrown out of work. But that's good that um, uh, your, your people are able to uh, help those that are vulnerable. Yeah, uh, and I think it, it says something about establishing relationships with, um, with vulnerable workers. Um, we've actually reached out to people who are doing um, food production work in agriculture and in abattoirs in regional Australia uh, over the last number of years. And now people are turning to us and saying, help. You know, uh, one person recently was tested, went down with a, a high fever and was suddenly in a very panicky sort of situation saying, my goodness, what, what does this next mean for me as a, a fruit picker? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. It's important. I think. Are there a lot of people caught in Australia at the moment who perhaps can't get government help for whatever reason? Yes, actually, and that's one of the campaigns that we're working on at the moment. Um, there are, in fact, 2.2 million people working in Australia on temporary visas, and they're not caught, they're not supported by the federal government package or packages. That's an enormous number of people. I, I didn't realise there were so many. So uh, obviously you're doing your bit to help them, but um, what else can be done? Uh, they sound like they're caught between a, a rock and a hard place. Yeah, that's right, David. And I think um, we're, we're not <laughs> with Tiny and we're not supporting 2.2 million people, but we're in a great coalition of people. I don't know whether you saw... Um, recently in the age in the Sydney Morning Herald, we were part of a, a full-page ad calling on the federal government to, to reach out to the very vulnerable people who are in that 2.2 million people. 
and and the federal government initially said, well, they should just go home. But we're particularly working yeah. with Pacific Islanders and um, people from Timor Leste, and they can't go home. Their their borders are closed, and there are no flights. So yeah. um. Yeah, I think I think probably on that particular campaign, we're asking people to uh, to contact their local member of parliament and say, "Hey, every worker in Australia needs support, not just um, not just people in uh, with Australian uh, permanent residency." Sure. And I mean, as we all know, the crisis unfolded uh, incredibly quickly um, and a lot of people were caught. I know the government, as you said, did tell people to go home if at all possible. But uh, as you said, just some can't and they've been caught in between. And if they're not getting um, federal assistance financially, it makes it very difficult for them. Yeah. And I think once uh, a group of workers that we've been supporting have finished picking the tomatoes in that field, the tomatoes are all picked, <laughs> and then what do they do next? Yeah. And uh, and their visa is running out. What do they do next? And the federal government has introduced a special visa, but at the moment, the worker has to find some internet access, go online, and find a fairly complicated form to to um, be able to renew their visa or find a new visa. And and I think. That's just not realistic. And, and I heard the other day that the New Zealand government has just simply rolled all those people over onto a new visa. And I think that would be a much right. kinder thing to do. Do you think that's likely to happen here? Is, uh, is there a lot of lobbying going on at the moment? There is, and we're part of it. And we've got our sleeves rolled up and we're prepared to keep going until <laughs> um, those workers get the sort of support they need. They've, the actual groups that we're working with, with these Pacific Islanders and Timor-Leste people, are actually part of the Australian Government Aid Program. So they're here uh, as as, a, as an aid program. So you can't just say, oh, well, bad luck, look after yourselves, because um, that's I don't think that's uh, a generous and it's certainly not a Christian way to treat people. Sure. Is it, um, we're still in the fruit picking season, are we? Or is it just, is it just begun, just finished? Well, I'm not sure. Well, there's something wonderful system that I think the Fair Work Ombudsman has set up called the Harvest Trail. And that means that that one crop might have just finished in Victoria, but it might be opening up in, um, in New South Wales, a new, um, you know, fruit or vegetable that needs to be picked or there might be need, uh, you know, vine um, pruning and stuff like that. So um, so the work is, is probably going to go on right around Australia all year round, but people yeah. aren't allowed to move from state to state without a 14-day quarantine and without having yes. the right visa. And I, and I think um, our advocacy is around making that as simple and is supportive of, of the people who have come to work in Australia to help us get our crops in. Yeah, I mean, they're vitally important, as we know. We rely heavily on um, uh, backpackers, for instance, working in these places to help us. We just don't have the population, or a lot of Australians don't want to do that sort of work. So it's absolutely absolutely imperative that uh, these people are assisted as much as possible. Yep, yep, that's right. 
And one of one of our uh, volunteers is um, is working with a regional group who all um, Pacific Islanders all uh, jumped in a minibus and came into town after they'd done their uh, week's work and didn't realise about social distancing and you know um, so it, yeah. it's really crucial that that those workers get the advice they need and get the support they need. Yes, and I imagine in a lot of cases they're um, they come here to earn some money and that the money they earn or a lot of it they send back to their families. That's exactly right. So so no one's basically winning here and uh, um, yeah, a, a lot needs to be done to help them as you said. Yep, yep. Moving right along and just speaking more generally now, um, I, I read somewhere that it's estimated around 40 million people uh, worldwide are enslaved in one form or, or another. Um, and that one in four of these are children. That's a staggering number also. It's not something people, not here in Australia anyway, you think of uh, that often. I think that's absolutely right, David. And, and in our years as ACRATH working with people uh, in Australia, over and over again we've had to say, yes, yes, that's the number, and and, it, and over time it's grown. Um, but I think the other message uh, that I love to share is the fact that we actually, by linking arms with each other, we can bring that number down. Yeah, that well, that brings me to my next question about uh, your main goal is ob- obviously to eliminate modern slavery as much as possible. How successful do you think you've been in uh, achieving that? Now, I'm going to say, David, absolutely unashamedly that we've been very successful. Uh, and I, I think it's an right. exciting, yeah, it's an exciting message that we can share with with students in schools and with people in parishes that um, that in fact uh, there's been a lot of hard work done and and when I say very successful I'm not saying Akrath on our own has you know moved mountains or anything but I will say that Akrath sure. in networks has done some terrific work and and we have as networks seen really major change. And I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, when we first started mm-hmm. working on um, on chocolate, we realised that there that little boys were being sold from Burkina Faso into the Ivory Coast in Ghana in West Africa to to work on cocoa production farms, and uh, and we were pretty Goodness. shocked. We raised that with Cadbury, yep. then Nestle, Mars, and Hague's. Uh, and more recently, Daryl Lee. And and in the beginning, we were fobbed off as a bunch of do-gooders. And again, we were working in a network. <laughs> but I can tell you right now today that all five of those chocolate countries companies sorry, ethically source yep. the cocoa. So they've now gone to That's the... That's Yeah, and I think it's two-thirds of the world's cocoa production comes from the Ivory Coast in Ghana. So that's a really significant win. Did that take a lot of lobbying? You know, it was very, very strange, really. Um, what We went straight to those companies, managing directors in Australia and Australia and New Zealand, or some of them, and said, uh, yeah. we've heard this, have you heard it? And they all looked a bit uncomfortable and said, yes, we've heard it. And so we said, well, we want you to, to, do, to change that. We want those... Um, 
we, we don't want to eat chocolate that has slavery in the supply chain. And, and the companies yeah. pretty much fobbed us off. So what we did, we started as a, it was pretty much a church coalition. We produced 5,000 postcards mm-hmm. to the managing director and then handed them around in parishes and schools and, and people were to sign it and put a stamp on it and send it off to the managing director saying, we actually don't want to eat chocolate that where the cocoa has been harvested by children uh, who are enslaved on those farms. And bingo, David, one by one, those chocolate companies came back to us and said, actually, we've found a way. Uh, So, yeah, Mm. it it took a while and it took some real, uh, some great thinking by uh, I think the leadership probably in Australia was the Uniting Church. Right. But uh, we've, we, yeah, I think we're we're moving. And as I said at the beginning of this bit, um, Daryl Lee have just signed up to say uh, they too are ethically sourcing their cocoa. Oh, that's terrific. Mm. So it goes to show change is possible and uh, pressure in the right places uh, will make uh, companies uh, act more ethically, uh, which is terrific news. Yep. And also, we've had some really big uh, changes in uh, in Australian law since since our network's been working. Uh, we've got uh, okay. um, forced marriage legislation, forced labour legislation. We had some tightening up on the forced marriage legislation, and then um, right at the end of 2018, we got a Modern Slavery Act in Australia, and a little bit earlier, a Modern Slavery Act in New South Wales. So. And they, they didn't just happen. They happened because networks of, um, of people who, who knew what was just really joined arms and pushed for it. Right, okay. Uh, it is staggering, though. When, as I said earlier, a lot of people don't think of human trafficking as a big issue in the 21st century. You might think of um, uh, how the early African-Americans were treated um, you know, 300 years ago, but it is staggering to think that so many people, children as well, uh, are caught up in this. Well, as far as families go, are families also uh, caught up in modern slavery? Well, yeah, absolutely, because you gave the stat 40 million people. All those 40 million people mm. come from families. And and I think, uh, like I give you one example, um, uh, we have been working on, uh, on slavery and the supply chain of clothing that is worn in Australia. Um, and, uh, and I'll give you the example of, of many mothers who work in clothing factories in Bangladesh making the clothes that you yeah. and I are wearing right now. Um, and mm. what, what was the justice in their um, employment? And then what sort of standover or exploitative practices are used which move that worker from being a worker with, with some independence to being somebody who's exploited to the extent that we call it modern slavery. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it is extraordinary. And Although I was going to ask uh, perhaps for some other examples, you mentioned the chocolate, the children uh, in Africa, and then we, we know about Bangladesh, and that's had a fair bit of publicity in recent years. Are there any other areas where um, uh, individuals or families are, are being exploited? 
Well, I think another interesting area that that ACRAF has begun to work on, we were approached by the federal government to produce some materials on forced marriage. And um, and that, of course, is very right. much a family practice. Um, and right here in Melbourne, uh, our organisation did some presentations at Catholic schools on forced marriage, explaining that we had a new law in 2013 announced on International Women's Day that um, that, yep. that it's illegal to force somebody into marriage in Australia. And very soon after that, uh, we had a, a, um, a teenager um, contacted um, her school from uh, – she'd been sent to the country where her family had come from, and um, and she said that she was being hold, held in her uncle's compound and told that she had to marry a mm. 67-year-old guy. Um, and uh, and she was terrified. And she was a, a, a high school girl who'd grown up in Melbourne. So that sort of yeah. brings it home very, very sharply to a, our own patch, doesn't it? Well, it does, and I know they they have issues too at times uh, uh, in brothels when the police raid them and they find underage children from other countries, and that gets a bit of publicity at times, uh, which is just dreadful. Are there any other areas where perhaps people in Australia are being exploited? Well, I think certainly when you mention prostitution, um, I think our experience is not so much the underage um, girls and young women, but um, but uh, adult women who come to Australia thinking they're going to work in prostitution, but when they get here, they're told, "Oh, um, you owe the trafficker maybe forty thousand Australian dollars, fifty thousand Australian dollars, and that you can't start earning your own money in this brothel until you have paid back that what they call a debt, and that's." Um, that, that mm. in fact, was the subject of the first uh, court case on human trafficking right here in Melbourne. The brothel was in Brunswick Street, Fitzroy, and the trafficker was found guilty of holding six young women uh, from Thailand in a um, in the brothel yeah. and in a flat in North Fitzroy. So it brings it starkly home to us that it's right here in our in our own city. Yeah, absolutely dreadful, and I, I believe they're, um, the girls who come over or the women, their uh, uh, visas or their passports are taken, and they virtually have no power at all. Once that happens, they're in a foreign country and there's not much they can do. Yeah, and I think some of the traffickers after that conviction um, realised that one of the key things was that, that they had taken the women's passports, and so... Um, the traffickers have got smarter because they can they can actually hold somebody without uh, taking a passport. They can hold somebody by saying, "Oh, you're a, you're a, a, a young woman from Thailand. Do you think the Australian police would ever care that that you're being held? Um, you know, you you agreed mm. to come here. You have to pay, do this work or no pay uh, to pay us back." And and people will be persuaded about that. Yeah, well, I mean, they, if they don't know anyone and they're in a foreign country, it's easy to be um, 
you know, have, have something like that put over you? And what, what, what do you do? And, and a lot of those countries too, I believe, they don't trust their own police as much, so they probably don't trust the police here either. Yeah, yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I was just going to go back to your first question about, you know, there's also people working in, in agriculture, as I've mentioned earlier. There's people in convenience stores. Uh, you know, there's, um, there's people in cleaning companies. Right. Um, that are, are very vulnerable to exploitation. And I think the more that somebody's vulnerable as an overseas worker, the more that there is a, a like a, a very sad market for moving in and exploiting people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's an anathema to me. I just I, I read these things and see documentaries on TV at times, and I just shake my head. Um, you just think it's it's one of those things that uh, you would hope belonged in the dark age, ages, but when you hear stories that you've uh, passed on, it just uh, it makes your blood uh, curdle. I tell you. Yeah. Now, I believe your organisation, you mainly operate with the assistance of volunteers, is that correct? Yeah, we have a mighty volunteer force uh, and um, and then uh, people have, um, we have a, a strong donation group and um, and we use that, that, that money to yep. employ a fairly small staff. So I think we've got the equivalent of three full-time workers, of paid workers. And about about a hundred volunteers. Right. Are they all based in Australia? Are they all? Uh, yeah, our organisation is Australian, and uh, and so our yep. our paid and voluntary workforce is in Australia. But we're really well linked to other groups doing similar sort of work um, in Asia, in the Pacific in a growing way and right. then and then globally through um, through international networks okay what what do you do to raise uh, awareness about these issues do you do you have a, a media or marketing budget as such or what do you do exactly <laughs> well we talk to the Magellan because <laughs> that's a good way for us to get our word out oh good <laughs> yeah that's good and I think um, yes. we're really keen that anybody who who catches on to our story passes it out more broadly because I think, like you've said a couple of times, people are surprised. They don't think it's happening here in Australia. People don't realise how mm. how closely we're linked to those little boys on that cocoa farm or that woman in the Bangladesh um, um, clothing factory. But we are globally linked. I, I guess it's a serious lesson for, from the COVID-19 times, isn't it, is is just how globally we are linked. But uh, in supply chains for goods and services, we really need to um, to pay attention to that and to do something. Yeah, absolutely. What are some of the biggest obstacles uh, Akrath faces uh, in uh, this day and age? Um, I guess... I guess one of the big problems for us is resources. So, um, in fact, I was talking to somebody who is working in um, in communications this morning. She works only ten hours a week, so or she's paid for ten hours a week. But and she was saying, 
You know, there yeah. are so many stories we've got and that we ACREF are now after 15 years of operation, we're just immersed in so many stories in Australia and globally and we've got respect. You know, we're, we're actually yes. on the Australian Government's National Roundtable on Human Trafficking. So we've got, you know, quite a bit of credibility but, but we just don't have the resources to, to get these stories out and also to drill down and make sure that, that initiatives that we take uh, do get traction. So I guess that's probably one of the biggest right. challenges. Yeah, no, fair enough. And I, I guess like a lot of really good organisations, everyone's trying to get more um, government funding or whatever or get more exposure. It's hard, isn't it? It is, and, and we've we've actually been approached by the federal government to take on projects that were funded by the federal government, but um, but the last two years we've had no government funding, and and yet the right. work is so huge and our limited our resources are so limited, and and one thing that that I think um, plays out a bit more your question about problems is that um, that. Uh, that all of the funding that we get that's like, oh, we'll fund you for three months or we'll fund you for eight months or we'll fund you to do that one thing doesn't doesn't allow us to plan to develop a real expertise within our staff, which we have, but to build on that. We, yeah. need, we need like five-year funding. We want somebody to just say, okay, here you go. <laughs> Here's five years of funding. Do, <laughs> get the work done. <laughs> Wouldn't that be wonderful? <laughs> well, I, I've actually raised it. it. We go and do as much political advocacy in Canberra as we can, and um, and mm-hmm. um, that's been really effective. And, and each time for the last several years we've raised this issue and said, you know, all of us, not just ACRAC, but all of the NGOs who are working in this space are spending so much time um trying to drum up some cash instead of doing the work. And I think what we, we ask the government to do is to uh, put out something like three or even five-year funding and to, um, to fund, fund initiatives uh, in, a, in that sort of ongoing way so that we can really make, build up the competence within our own staff and plan projects that go out across a a good chunk of time, so that we can really get into get our teeth into a problem, and and um, like we have with the sure. chocolate companies, solve some problems. Yes, no, that's that's a terrific story. I, I hadn't hadn't heard about that. I knew there were issues, but uh, that that is fantastic. Um, keeping in mind, COVID nineteen has forced families and individuals into isolation, and, and in some cases, lockdown. What can they do at the local level to help end human trafficking? I mean, you have touched on it with the chocolate um, and also the clothing uh, in Bangladesh, but obviously these sorts of issues happen in other countries and we don't always know what's going on. That's the problem. Yep, and I think you've put your finger on one of my very first answer to that question. What can we do? Number one, I reckon, is talk to three people within a week. That's what we as aircraft challenge people to do and and in COVID-19 times there's no reason why you shouldn't talk to three people within a week of hearing this podcast but I think also um, find out more you know our ACRATH website one of the sisters 
is a fabulous uploader of our website and our social media pages. There's there's always new stuff on our website. It's acrath.org.au, acrath.org.au, and um, yep. or people and on that website people can register for our e-news bulletins and they're free. And then I reckon, yes. um, David, what we're keen for people to do is to to join a current campaign. So uh, we've just finished the Easter chocolate campaign, but it's not too late for somebody to say, okay, I just heard this awful stuff about little boys being sold onto cocoa farms in West Africa. I'm going to hop online on the Nestle website and leave a consumer feedback comment. Or I'm going to I'm going to say each right. week I'm going to contact a new company and and do a feedback uh, as a concerned consumer because the companies initially said to us I was in a one meeting um, uh, right here in Melbourne in a managing director's office and they said oh look actually we've done uh, marketing research and we don't think enough consumers really care about this issue <laughs> and I thought well. No, mm. we do care as consumers, really? and it's when consumers yes. know what's going on that they will care more. So there's lots of campaigns to do, and Tony, um, David, um, one thing uh, that's coming up on the 24th of March is um, of April. Sorry, is the um, anniversary of the collapse of the Rana Plaza in Bangladesh. I don't know whether. Um, listeners will remember that time, but over 1,000 people, almost all women, garment workers, died in that uh, factory. They were told they had to go back into the collapsing factory or the cracked factory that morning or they would lose their jobs. And and in the wreckage of that building were the brand labels of of, um, companies of clothing companies that sell here in Australia. So um, that's that's coming up at the end of April. Um, there's the 30th of July is the um, United Nations Day on Human Trafficking. I just think people need to, to be talking about it, to be praying about it in their church communities, to be um, Zooming yes. about it or um, putting it on their social media pages. It's just a really important point to raise awareness, I think. Yes, and I mean, you, you made the point too, and quite right, a lot of people, uh, me included, are working from home now, and in some respects we've got more time to read up about these things yes. uh, because we're not madly trying to get into our cars and get to work now each morning. Um, so it, it, it's changing our lifestyle, but it gives us the opportunity to uh find out what's actually going on in these areas and where people are being exploited. That's right. Christine, I also believe uh, you've got a resource kit for schools. We know that a lot of schools aren't in at the moment um, and it's titled Make Your School Slavery Free. Perhaps you could tell us a bit about that. Yeah. Um, with the, the Archbishop of Melbourne, um, Archbishop Peter, and uh, Louise Cleary, our founder and our current ACRATH president, Launched uh, that kit, and it's um, and it's encouraging school staff rooms to say, okay, we're only going to drink slavery-free tea, coffee, and hot chocolate in this building, and uh, any um, right. any raffles or anything like that that 
um, that will be slavery-free chocolate products. And I think what is really key there is now with COVID-19 that people can say to themselves, oh, okay, in my own home, I'm going to check that my tea and coffee and hot, and the chocolate, hot chocolate are all actually slavery-free and they will have a little logo on them to say they're fair trade or they're yes. UTZ or Rainforest Alliance certified. And, and on our website, we have quite a lot more information about that. Okay, well, that was going to be sort of one of my final questions about if people are shopping, how do they know that products are um, produced in countries where they're ethically produced, if I can put it that way, and that uh, children and others are not being exploited? So you have a lot of that information on your website. Yeah, we do. And and if people aren't sure, there's two things. You can, you can go to your supermarket manager and say, uh, I'm just really keen not to have slavery in my supply chains. I've done this with supermarket managers and they get terribly hunted looking, but but it's a way of pushing the, <laughs> the message back up the line that consumers want to sure. make sure there's no slavery. And I think um, another very telling area is uh, mobile phones and electronics because it's pretty definite that if you've got a phone uh, or any um, electronic device that has a battery, then it has coltan and cobalt in it. And that means very, very likely that there are children in, um, in the mining of those products. So that's a really big challenge. And it, and it just means okay. like being a, an active consumer, hopping on the website and saying, to you know, to the person, to the company that made your phone or your laptop, I just heard this awful thing that maybe I have slavery in the supply chain of my laptop phone. What can you tell me about it? And the companies yeah. start to register that information. And I can't tell you. I've, I know I've said it already, but it, it's really important to get consumer voice out there. Well, if enough enough people raise these uh, questions, then it has to start moving up the line and that's where there is change, as yep. you said. Yep, yep, and we've seen the change. We know it happened. No, that's terrific. Um, Christine Caroline, thank you very much for your time. It's been a most informative uh, chat with you today. Good on you, David. Good to talk. Thank you. Thanks for being with us. If you have a family issue or want advice on how to make your family the best it can be, you can now find answers on the Magellan.media website. Go to www.magellan.media forward slash guides where you will see downloadable guides and links to organisations that can help. Please stay safe during the current COVID-19 crisis. This has been Figuring Out Families and I'm David Ahern.